If Cork's plan A breaks down, the plan B doesn't work at all. So Limerick have Cork's plan A down to a T. They can neutralise that and then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. Now you're welcome along. Tuesday evening's off the ball. It is a Champions League evening. We are previewing Manchester City against Real Madrid this hour after 8 o'clock. Eddie Brennan with us to talk all things hurling. Dan McDonnell will be along for the football show. Matt Slater as well has written an interesting piece in The Athletic just charting English dominance in Europe. So that is all on the way. Michael McCarthy to give him his full name here in studio. Hello. Hello, Joe. And Richard McCormick. Hello. (laughs) Joseph, good evening. So we are looking forward to this evening, Champions League evening, Liverpool Villarreal tomorrow, but Manchester City against Real Madrid has a lot going on. I'm not quite sure how Real Madrid are here, but they are here after beating PSG, coming back from 2-0 down, a Benzema hat-trick to get them through there. And then against Chelsea, they won brilliantly at Stamford Bridge, to be fair. And then it looked like they were going out before Mr. Luka Modric did his thing with one of the more glorious outside of the boot passes to Rodrigo and then Benzema scored an extra time winner and here they are against Man City Modric now 36 years of age the uh, talk in Spain is he Real Madrid's greatest ever midfielder is, uh, seems to wow. be the talk ahead of Zidane some of the arguments being well his longevity which is hard to argue with plus four Champions League medals 2018 Ballon d'Or uh, even just uh, in the last couple of weeks against PSG he ran 10.5k the most of any Real Madrid player has played 44 games this season Lots of stats in his favour. I mean, he'll never be better than Zidane for me, but mm. I wouldn't like to talk down Luka Modric either. It's a pretty impressive tally, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can... You have to measure these things by how you feel as well sometimes, though, Joe. You know, I'm not, I'm not one for numbers and stats. <laughs> but, uh, look, he made me feel pretty good with that pass last week. Oh. Who'd have thought that we'd be going into a Champions League semi-final first leg evening thinking about Real Madrid as the little engine that could I know <laughs> you know with Karim Benzema and his story of redemption and rejuvenation and Modric just like this team of old warriors stepping up you know against the might of Manchester City and their their billions and their greatest squad of all time and their superstar manager and like you know the former Everton manager kind of like rounds up all these like old lads and here they come with their unbelievable Ryder Rovers route through the uh, Champions League so far. Team news to come in just a moment. After 8 o'clock, Eddie Brennan talking all things hurling. So he will look back on Munster. We uh, streamed this earlier on. We'll play most of it out for you this evening. And you can podcast the full chat, of course. So he will look back on the Munster weekend that was. And he will glance ahead to, in particular, Kilkenny away to Galway. Shefflin hosting Cody and needless to say Eddie Brennan has some insights into their relationship the thing that caught my eye he said Cody didn't really do favourites but if he had a favourite it was Shefflin (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I was thinking like when he said that that there was an element of like you know oh look Brian treated us all the same he treated us all like shit, you know. <laughs> he didn't say the second part, but I felt that it was there, you know, somewhere in, in his meaning. But uh, look, I mean, you were always... That, I'm sure Henry was always the apple of his eye. And, you know, that's... Uh, why not? I mean, you have the, the superstar who's also the hardest worker and the, the constant professional and so on. It's all, You're always going to be like... It's even even in his stature, you know, Sheffield was always the centre of the field, like, you know, maybe centre forward or so taller than everybody else stood bigger than everybody else as well you know up there in the moments it's like it's a very natural almost like you know 
beacon of light at the centre of everything Kilkenny, you know. You're making me want to sit up a bit straighter. Even just yeah. imagine. I'm very slumped, actually, as I say this. I don't I, I don't see myself in the way I see Henry Shefflin. Shefflin, not a slumper. Oh, definitely. Straight no, backed. No, no. Yeah, good yeah. posture. Yeah. Brennan was saying, Richie, that Stood you know. all in the Sunday game panel as well, you'd notice it, yeah, you know, with, with everybody else there. Proper yeah. gate. Let's yeah. sit up straight, for God's sake. That uh, Brennan was saying, you know, several players on that Kilkenny squad were more naturally gifted than Shefflin, but Shefflin obviously was, uh, you know, forged of his own stuff and grabbed so many games by the scruff of the neck and, uh, you know, did heroic things on the field as opposed to especially flashy things on the field and for Brian Cody who adored the basics done well that was you know that was it for him that was apple of love his eye stuff that was why Shefflin was his guy out there yeah okay Eddie Brennan you scored me a hat trick but look at what Shefflin did out there a game changer like I'm, I'm one of these ever reliables somebody you could like even when things weren't going the way of Kilkenny which let's be honest in the era of Henry Shefflin wasn't often but on occasion that that did happen he'd be one of those players that you'd absolutely look to and feel that something will come and that like he is the embodiment or was the embodiment of faith uh, on the pitch because you just know that it will happen because of his sheer force personality because of his sheer force talent and that magnetism and that aura that only a special few have and, and he had it in, in spades by God uh, Michael this will tell us something about you uh, full time in Pierce Stadium would you like to see a draw and both sides happy and the managers <laughs> shaking hands and like a warm embrace and some eye contact and like I love you and I love you too or do you want acrimony and no. pulled apart okay I don't want to draw because like that's no you know I'd, I'd like a team to win but I do I, I always I'm, I'm someone that can't watch like a TV show or read a book or something like that that has like brothers who falling out who, who don't, you know I, don't, I just don't like you're not a Cain and Abel kind of guy no, I'm not, not married to my Cain and Abel no. no I always find it very difficult to, to you know understand broken relationships and uh, you know the the fact that people just can't come back from the, the Brian Lowe and Davey thing kills me you yeah. know uh, so no I, I, I want that mutual respect and just even a little bit of like you know a little bit of like whatever they like each other is what I'm trying to say just even if it's just a little bit on display I'm with you you know I want warmth I want a big smile pre-match and I want a bit of a hug post-match I want to see the respect on show I, I, I think, think we'll get a quite terse handshake at the end I think yeah. we will as well, I think yeah. will as well. <laughs> see Cody gives us so much I mean has there ever been a man who's been so to the fore in Irish sport for so long that we know so little of yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Yeah, I don't know if there's many people who've been to the fore in Irish sport for so long, full stop, you know, before we even... And yeah, we we know very little about them. I can't imagine that we will... I think you're right. I think if there is a moment, it'll be a gruff, uh, respectful, well done, lads, you did it for your manager in the dressing room that none of us will see. I think he will avoid questions in interviews afterwards if he even does them. And I think that on the field he will give him a handshake as he looks away and walks walks into the tunnel yeah. win, lose or draw by the way as well for Cody I don't think that will change his expression one bit well Eddie Brennan on the way after 8 o'clock he's in great form loads of good stuff and he gives us great insight into the Cody-Shefflin relationship so yeah Shefflin was definitely one of the few favourites that Cody had we should get into the news round and give you team news ahead of this Champions League evening the news round <coughs> as, as ever is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day has Pep done something crazy yeah or nay 
Uh, not really, no. The Champions League semi-finals reaching the semi-final stage tonight. First up, that meeting of Manchester City and Real Madrid. For City, Ederson starts in goal and through a lack of other options, be it suspensions or injuries, John Stone starts at right back. Uh, then he's got Ruben Diaz, Armic Laporte and Alexander Zinchenko making up the rest of the back four. In midfield, it's Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva. The front three then is Riyad Mahrez, Phil Foden and Gabriel Jesus. One, two, three, four, five teenagers on the City bench tonight. For Real, Thibaut Courtois starts in goal. Danny Carvajal's at right back. Adrian Militao is alongside him. Both David Alaba and Ferlon Mendy have been passed fit to start. Casemiro hasn't, though. So his place in midfield goes to Ernesto Valverde. Luka Modric and Tony Kroos sit alongside him. And then we have the front three of Rodrigo, Vinicius Jr. and Karim Benzema. Kickoff at the Etihad is at eight. Yeah, we'll be talking to Semra Hunter of La Liga TV. No relation to Graeme at half past seven Vinicius Jr versus John Stones not an uninteresting situation at all I can't understand how City have so much money make so many signings and have no cover at fullback you know Sinchenko was on, like written off a while ago yeah. and obviously Walker and Coachella are out and then they're left with John Stones at fullback I remember John Stones playing fullback for Everton when he was about 19 and I don't think he's played there since you know that bench um, for City tonight is very thin. Like, very, exactly. very thin. When you consider, like, they've got, what, two goalkeepers on there. Obviously, Scott Carson's one of them. Zach Steffen, the other. In terms of game changers, if you're looking to introduce somebody, Raheem Sterling is there, Ilkay Gundogan is there, and the 100 million Jack Grealish is there. Other than that, the other experienced players are Nathan Aki and Fernandinho. And as I mentioned, the rest are teenagers. Um, and, you know, credit to them. They're all, you know, relatively decent players, but they're not somebody you'd throw on with the utmost faith that they're going to turn a Champions League semi-final. Um, it's a really weird situation for Manchester City to have a bench like that going into such a huge game at this end of the season. Uh, Sterling, Grealish and Gundogan aren't too bad, to be honest. To be honest. How many, many game-changing substitutions do you want to make, Richie? Yeah, and several int- Mick, int- several. Interestingly, as well, it says that so they've locked down, or I, I say it says the Telegraph was reporting today that they've obviously locked down Haaland as we know, and they're now deciding whether or not to go and buy Declan Rice. So they've decided Rice is the perfect replacement for Fernandinho, who's pretty much uh, said he's out the door. It's just whether or not they want to pay West Ham 150 million. They would prefer not to. Uh, West Ham in a strong-ish position in that Rice still has two years left in his contract and then West Ham have the option of a third, which you would imagine they will absolutely take. So then if Rice was to stay for those three years, he's 26. Mm. And he might think, that's a long amount of my career to give to West Ham as much as I love West Ham. Yeah, And it's not about money, uh, was the reporting. It's very much about Declan Rice wanting to play Champions League football and win league titles. So... That'll be an interesting situation. Harry Kane, you know... Missed the boat. And made a big effort to make the move happen publicly as well. Declan Rice, you can imagine, would be low to do an interview again with Gary Neville on the overlap where he says, I want to leave West Ham and, and risk all the ire that goes with that. But he may have to force At some a point he might have to. He know? might have to, And yeah. what's like, I mean, there's still, obviously, there's a little bit of... Uh, remaining bitterness that we're getting slowly over here but it is becoming more and more apparent that Declan Rice is that player oh, and is and like is. I mean last year there was times when I was like ah he looks that good because of nobody's talking about how good Suchek is beside him but <laughs> you know you watch more of them this year and you're like oh Jesus Christ Declan Rice could have been the best Irish midfielder of all time could I mean, have been could you imagine if we had Grealish and Rice <laughs> we're a very different team I imagine it often Joe <laughs> <laughs> 
Great, like to be fair, when I mentioned it several times elsewhere, like Rice should, should have happened. Like the the notion that he was never captain in a, in a competitive game is just utterly baffling, and that should be held over Martin O'Neill's term forever. Uh, that he never got that uh, that full cap uh, all all in friendlies. But as Mick says there, like he is he is that good. Like he really is that good. Like you, you can look at him during a game and you can think anecdotally that he is a really decent player and then you, you can back that up with every single stat there is to offer in terms of midfield play and he's doing that in a West Ham midfield. All credit to them that perform well the last two seasons. But the majority of that performing well is down to how he leads that team. Um, it's it's whether or not he fits into a, a better environment and, and one where it's more competitive is the big question. Like Grealish is, is the case in point there, I guess. Um, and what he's done or not at Manchester City this season. Yeah. I suspect he fits in just fine. 150 million is steep, though. If they didn't want to play that much for Harry Kane, it's hard to know if they want to play that for Declan Rice, though he is uh, the guts of a decade younger. Yeah. There is other football this evening. Yeah, having suffered their first defeat of the season at the weekend, Shelburne are away to third place Wexford Youths tonight in the Women's National League. Elsewhere, Treaty United are at home to Cork City. That game just underway. And Deal or Ways look to follow their win over Shells when they face Athlone tonight. Very briefly, there is other football on as well, Joe, which means uh, Fulham are playing, which means that Mitrovic is going to be scoring goals. Swansea are playing, which means Michael Obafemi is going to be scoring goals. And Wigan are playing, which means Will Keane is going to be scoring goals. Mitrovic is up to... 41, I think, now, maybe. Yeah. What's the record in the Championship? I meant to check that the other week. You I did. think he surpassed it already. Yeah. Has he? Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of goals. I mean, even the goals he scored against Ireland were outrageous as well. Uh, Punches Town, Rich... Yeah, the William Mullins trained Energy Men won the William Hill Champion Chase, the feature on the opening day of the Punchestown Festival. The odds on favour came home eight and a half lengths. Ahead of Stephen Bates, Shaquem Persoy, Gordon Elliott trained a quartet of winners today. Mighty Potter was a grade one winner of the novice hurdle there. Cork Kerry. Yeah, uh, a late one this last night when it came in, but Cork secured a moral victory ahead of their Munster football semi-final with Kerry last night. The Munster Council are allowing the game to be played at Porky Rin. Cork looks set to lose home advantage with Ed Sheeran commandeering Porky Cueve and Porky Rin being deemed too small. But this decision means the next two Munster Championship meetings of the counties will be played in Killarney. The ladies' championship clash of Kerry and Tipperary will be the curtain raiser for that one on May the 7th. There we go. It never quite had the drama or intensity of Newbridge or Nowhere. No, as we I, we spoke to someone, I think we had John Myler on the show and he was like, it's happening too far out. <laughs> you know, I said, like, this will all be sorted. This is weeks away. Yeah. Newbridge or Nowhere was a next week qualifier that happened. Yeah. What a waste of time, though. Like, as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as Cork said they weren't going to Killarney, yeah. as much as the Munster Council might have their pride and might believe they're right, they should have known it was never going to be played in Killarney and just said, right, OK, park your in, we'll move on. Yeah. God, Newbridge or Nowhere was just great crack. It was, yeah. You kind of knew Mayo were going to lose. It's the only qualifier Mayo have lost since, since 2010, hmm. you know, since the, <laughs> which is just amazing. It was the fact that there was time to sort this out. That was the, the killer for this yeah. one in terms of a story. Like, they really had elbow room here, whereas they really didn't with Newbridge or Nowhere. And Kildare had uh, the GAA over a barrel with that one and, you know, made for a fantastic scenario. And then Mayo being Mayo uh, made the game what it is as well. But yeah, like this one, they just had far too much wiggle room to make this one into any kind of a drama. Yeah. My main memory of that week was like some mumblings that Kildare weren't having this. Mm. And we were in here saying, oh, we'll keep an eye on this. Yeah. And a room. Keen O'Neill's live on the 6-1 News. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. I watched it in a restaurant in Turles on my phone 
uh, went down to Thurles the night before because I was supposed to be going away for the weekend, but Claire got to the Munster final, so cancelled the weekend away. But you know, said make a night of it, go down and stay in horse and jockey, I think it was actually, and, and that was fine. Except for we uh, got there and at about eight o'clock, straight after the Kildare match, was when I realised I'd forgotten the match tickets. Oh. So I had to drive back to Dublin on oh. the Sunday morning and then back in the traffic to Thurles the next day. That's painful. So I have a lot of memories of the Newbridge or Nowhere uh, week and very few of them are about the football. Painful. There's a lot of uh, forgot the match tickets, sorry stories out there. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a commonplace thing. Without uh, doubt. Yeah. So Senna Nupu, I, I suppose she thought there was a chance that her Ireland career might have finished with that red card at Welford Road. Uh, Richie, not the case. Not the case, no. She's been cleared to play in Ireland's closing game of the TikTok Women's Six Nations with Scotland. The centre, as you mentioned, shown a red card in Sunday's heavy defeat to England. However, a disciplinary committee deemed Neopi's offence worthy only of a yellow card, clearing her to face the Scots at Kingspan Stadium this weekend. That would be welcome news for Greg McWilliams because there is an injury crisis and a, obviously a sevens crisis in that Irish backline. So Neopi available again is uh, very important. Scotland... Ireland, Italy all uh, vying to avoid the wooden spoon this weekend. Uh, Dave Kilcoyne? Yeah, he's going to miss the remainder of the season. The Munster prop facing 12 weeks out as he requires surgery on a neck problem. Kilcoyne will miss the Heineken Champions Cup quarterfinal with Toulouse and Ireland's summer tour of New Zealand. Back row John Hodnett must see a specialist after suffering a knee injury in last week's win away to Ulster. Peter O'Mahony, though, has returned to full training after sitting out the win against Ulster last weekend. Noel Scannell hopes to return to full training by the start of next week. Now, World Snooker Championship underway. Yeah, we're into the quarterfinals stage at this point. Ronnie O'Sullivan resumed 6-2 up on Stephen Maguire in their uh, World Championship quarterfinal match. On the other table tonight, Mark Williams is 6-2 up on Jan Bing Tao. They're playing the first frames of their respective sessions. Things were a little closer in the afternoon session at the Crucible. John Higgins finishing with a 5-3 lead over Jack Lazowski, who beat Neil Robertson last night. That despite Robertson registering the eighth maximum break in Crucible history, while Judd Trump leads Stuart Bingham also by five frames to three. Joe, would you have a word with Richie here? He's after copy and paste in his uh, snooker news there from 2014. Ronnie O'Sullivan, <laughs> Mark Williams and John Higgins are all leading their quarterfinals comfortably. Refuses to change. Is Ronnie in the mood this year or what's the story? Looks it, yeah. yeah. Looks it. From, like, particularly the game against, against Mark Allen. Um, he really looked like he was putting the boot down. And one, like, he was rattling through frames. Like, like nobody's business and doing it well and again in this morning session against Jan he's performed really well and it's a, this is the kind of match this is the kind of stage where you kind of think if there's going to be a, a waver in concentration this is going to be it but as soon as you get through if he gets through this evening uh, I'd fancy him, fancy him to win a semi-final if he gets through a semi-final I don't think anybody's going to beat him Okay You've got some tennis for us? Yeah, lots of it actually today. Organisers of Wimbledon say they were left with no viable alternative but to ban Russian and Belarusian tennis players from competing this year. The decision has been criticised by both the WTA and ATP tours who are considering removing ranking points from the Grand Slam. Meanwhile, Novak Djokovic will be allowed to defend his Wimbledon title this year despite not being vaccinated against COVID-19. Players won't be required to be jabbed to compete at the All England Club. The world number one was deported from Australia, of course, in January after a row over his vaccination status. Meanwhile, speaking of players who won't 
go away. Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal plotting their returns to the sport following time out with injury. Federer, who hasn't played since Wimbledon last year, is due to take part in the Labour Cup in September. That's in London. And he's also been entered into October's Swiss Indoors Tournament. Meanwhile, Nadal will be back in action at the Madrid Open next week after a month and a half out with a fractured rib. Nice timing ahead of the French Open. This Wimbledon move is just so interesting. I'm very torn on the whole thing on a, in a whole uh, range of ways. Like, on the one hand, it's desperately unfair. You're born in Russia. Putin has done this. So whether you agree or disagree, tough luck, you're out. And that's just that. And that seems desperately unfair. And there's a party that would think, well, where does that end? Like, I don't think anybody's advocating uh, Russian people's careers should be curtailed in the rest of the world. So why tennis players? And I saw someone, another player said, well, you know, if 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 the Russian players uh, come out and condemn the war, then they should be allowed to play. And that seemed like just a bizarre kind of a solution. I mean, who judges if they're sincere enough in their condemnation? You know, yeah. do they have to shed a tear? Do they have to call Putin? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Give me a three monster. Do they have yeah. to defect? You know, yeah. like in some ways, like Martin or Valover or whatever. But like, you can't have a litmus test for it. Like, you know, no. and look, I'm increasingly have to say that I think there's more important things in the world and I think the, the tennis players will get over it and I understand that there's reactionary um, views and decisions but it is unfair so it it's is kind unfair. of as simple as that they, have they fallen, haven't they have started this war you know? I've uh, come round though to thinking I'm actually okay with it and so my initial response was oh I'm not sure about going down this route and where does this end and like I said Russian people going about their lives around the world should they be curtailed in their careers and then part of me sort of came to the conclusion well this is such a public thing it is different to most private people going about their careers who should be allowed to continue to do that obviously but this is such a public thing this is maybe one of the few ways one of the very few ways you can signal to the uh, Russian public cosseted away uh, with propaganda all around them that actually the world thinks what's going on here is hideous mm. and does absolutely hold uh, Russia and Russia alone responsible and therefore it's a way of getting that message through and given like I mean your stomach turns every time you open a newspaper or watch television at the moment when you see what's coming out of Ukraine and I mean kind of inclined, inclined increasingly to think well yeah if a couple of tennis players are hard done by I'm actually fine with that that's the kind of collateral damage I'm okay with they have form. They have form, by the way. Um, uh, it was Christopher Carey, who was you know, a former guest of the show, uh, pointed this out last week. They, after World War Two, it was uh, was 1951 until a German player was allowed in. So they effectively banned German and Japanese players from entering at the All England Club, just based purely on both countries' involvement in World War Two, and they were pretty much a standalone in that as well. Uh, so yeah, like it, it's not as if they haven't got form in this one. And I don't they, really agree as I mentioned with that. last week. You see as I mentioned, as I, meant, I mentioned last week, like they do care more about optics than literally any other tournament on the face of the planet. Yeah, and the post World War II ones take, serve no purpose, whereas no. this you would hope serves a certain. Yeah, purpose. you'd hope that there's a reason for like people will say sanctions on a country Im- influ- impact the population rather than the regime, but yeah. that's the only way. The the population being against the war is very very important, and you know there has to be consequences for that. And look, as I said, ultimately, what's happening. And the story of a few tennis players not being able to play Wimbledon, you know, put those two things into perspective and tell me which is more important. At the same time, you know, I I immediately did get images in my head of 
Japanese internment and whatnot when I saw this rule and then like Grim Richie even brings it up about the specific Wimbledon example kind of ironically you know that I think those images are in our head not for no reason uh, there is definitely a worry I have when anybody is just cast as you are from somewhere therefore you know okay well that's Wimbledon none of the other majors of Followed suit remotely from what I've seen. Nothing no, from the French. No, they're or kind of they're, US. They're, they're kind of more uh, closely allied with the with the tours and okay. would be uh, like like the US Open don't have to do anything for the next couple of months anyway. The USTA that is they just have to sit back and wait to see how this transpires for the next couple of months. Um, the French aren't going to do anything. I think this close okay. uh, to the to the tournament, so it will be just Wimbledon at the moment anyway. That kind of stands alone on this one. Just on the other story, there it's interesting that Djokovic is being allowed play. You know, it's 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 almost. A, they're taking the opposite approach here. It's so surreal to think that three months ago Novak Djokovic was deported from Australia. Like it's so, it was such a huge story at the time, but it kind of like I've in some ways even forgotten about it. You know, I just it's I can't believe the number one tennis player in the world going to defend his title was rightly or wrongly deported from the country. It does feel like three years ago. It does. So uh, Phil Mickelson then. Yeah, uh, Big Phil, as we expected, the six-time major winner has become the first big name to request his release from the PGA Tour to play in the new Saudi-backed international series. The current US PGA champion hopes to play an invitational tournament in June at the Centurion Club in London, where there'll be record prize money up for grabs. Mickelson is currently taking a break from the sport after his controversial comments about how the PGA Tour operates. Yeah, well... Never has uh, one man torched his reputation so completely in the space of about two months. Ex- extraordinary. So Mickelson really is taking all the Saudi change. And he had a statement when his interview with Alan Shipnock was uh, leaked or uh, published by Shipnock saying, you know, look, I've been under a lot of stress. I'm going to take some time away and just reflect on things. So it now seems what he actually was saying was, I'm going to take some time away and wait for the Saudi events to start and then I'll go and play in them. So uh, despite calling them scary mother you know what's he's uh, very much hopping into bed with them and will probably not probably he is their marquee name I mean he's a, he's a golfing uh, legend so I mean he is he's the biggest name that they've landed why he's doing this is the big question oh. I think he's made 600 odd million plus from PGA Tour uh, is he in need of a payday maybe he is who knows what's going on with Phil Mickelson some strange things so I just can't really make sense of this to be honest the money thing doesn't add up we were talking about this earlier like you know Phil Mickelson can print money with uh, you know in in the rest of his career given what he has done in one of the most lucrative sports in the world especially you know one of the one of the the sports where there's the most money post your prime uh, and even post your career yeah you know so that's a strange one I'm very surprised when he took his time away Mm. and kind of like you know this has affected me massively and I'm going to reflect surely that was him trying to to go uh, in my head go and draw a line under this and say look I'm going to sneak off I'll take a month off and when I come back it'll be like it never happened that we'll pretend you know we've always been at war with Eurasia but in this case he's just come back and said oh no hold on this Saudi thing is still on I'm just going to formalise it now it's just I love these guys surprised I love these guys (laughs) (laughs) is there anyone else yet Uh, yeah Oh, a real low rank guy, wasn't it? Uh, first out of the traps was Robert Garrigus, which didn't send Oof. shockwaves. Didn't make your news round, I understand, Richie. I know, weird that, yeah. Uh, there, like, increasingly, there is talk of Sergio Garcia, there is talk of Ian Poulter, and there is talk of Lee Westwood. I mentioned those three because you're potentially looking at the next three Ryder Cup captains suddenly gone. 
that's kind of interesting, mm. you know. Uh, so they all seem heavily rumoured to go. Uh, they estimate about 15 of the world's top 100 are making the jump to play in these events over the summer, which is not nothing. Uh, you know, and like the 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 logic is like what Greg Norman and the Saudis say through Greg Norman is that these events are going to have first prize of four million dollars, twenty five million dollars in total on offer. Uh, what's going to happen here is regular like top thirty, top forty PGA Tour players, top twenty PGA Tour players will see Robert Garrigus making off with a four million dollar first prize <laughs> and think, what? So is that what it is? The market. I was actually going to ask you what the market is outside of Saudi Arabia for this, other than like you know normalizing big sporting events. It is five years, ten years yeah. down the line. It's these guys are the pioneers, yeah. go and make all the money, and then you know Jordan Spieth or whoever says, "Jesus, that's ridiculous. I'm going over there. This is silly." Yeah. Have they any rights deals sewn up yet? Uh, as in TV rights, like TV, TV online, oh, that kind of stuff. Good question. No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure they, they'll find someone to show it or they'll just set up their own app of or course, something, yeah. won't they? Because uh, most in of the events are on in the US. You know, we keep talking about it as like oh, the Saudi uh, Golf League, but like for the, a lot of the players, there'll be, like, be yeah. no uh, real lifestyle change. They'll play most of the events in US and Canada. So, um, yeah, Phil going. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with Phil. He did sell his jet to three years ago, which led to a sense that he loved that thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Frickin' Frickin' love that That was jet. just him Winding down He only has to play 10, 11 tournaments A year now You know Apparently off the road. It, Apparently it was like His fourth child <laughs> Was the, the sense And he sold it So there you go Does he need a few quid? I think I'm like, starting to wonder Yeah Starting to wonder Who yeah, knows Who knows We have no idea We have no idea But um, I mean geez, If he did like He's earned about 600 million So How he's in that situation I'm not sure Who knows I don't know what's going on it's all very odd. So, yeah, Mickelson is uh, absolutely hook, line and sinker jumping into bed with the uh, Saudis. You have news on, well, shock hard, GA player cleared. <laughs> yeah, uh, Declan Bonner loved this one as well. Tyrone have been handed a significant boost out of this Sunday's Ulster football quarterfinal with Derry. Conor McKenna is set to be available for selection, having had the red card he received against Fermanagh. Rescinded the forward sent off late in that seven-point win over the Ironmen in Enniskillen on the weekend before last. And just one last very quick one. We're seeing Roy Keane and Hibbs. Yeah, Roy Keane apparently interested in becoming the new Hibs manager. The Scottish Premiership Club will meet with potential candidates for the vacancy over the next week. Sean Maloney was sacked after just 120 days in charge at Easter Road. That followed back-to-back defeats to their derby rivals' hearts. Why are you making eyes at me like that? Because I don't like the idea of Roy Keane replacing Sean Maloney, who I didn't even know was Hibs manager, who's replacing <laughs> the guy who was, the, the your man Ross, wasn't it, who was on the Sunderland Till I Die season two. Uh, he was the pr- previous manager of Hibs. It just feels like Roy... Beneath him. A little bit, you know, like, come on, put yourself on a level here. Stay on with stay on with Gary and Cara and Suey. You know, at least you're on the top level there of what you're doing. It might not be what you want to do, but yeah. it's better than replacing Sean Malone. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, maybe things do a good job there. Get the Celtic job. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He said to Carragher... have a pretty good manager. He said to Carragher the other day that he thinks he was never going to get another management yeah. job again. So maybe he's, he's really facing the reality of that and willing to take something in Scotland. I don't know. Um... It's the reporting is he's interested, but we don't know what's happening. Anyway, we'll find out. I'm sure in good time. Richie McCormick, we're out of time. Thank you. Nice lads. Mate McCarthy, thank you. Cheers lads.